House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. You are back in the House of Mystery, and I am Al Warren, last I heard. Um, <laughs> and Mr. Mr. Martino is making martinis. I am, right here in the... The basement of the House of Mystery. Yeah, we're not letting you out either. Nope. Not I'm well. chained down here. You're chained down there. You're chained down there. We keep throwing amber turds down there for you. <laughs> that's your that's your munchie. What was that you had on the? You were at the store. What were you showing me? A picture of grass. You were waiting grass. in a lineup for grass. What is yeah. that? Well, that was the cats. Like that was like the cat. So you're buying grass. your cat grass, like marijuana yeah. grass, like what kind? No, of he doesn't smoke it. Oh, he just eats it. He just eats it, yeah. <laughs> Why is he at least? I've never seen him smoke it. <laughs> well, he's gonna. He needs help rolling, right? He doesn't have fingers. Yeah. Come on. No. So what's what's the deal with that? Like, what? He doesn't have grass at home. You don't let him out. Well, he yeah, he's an, mainly an indoor cat. We might put him in a harness soon and allow him to go around uh, the patio or whatever. But for the most part, he's he is an indoor cat. And so he needs his greens. He's got to eat the green. Eat well, the green. yeah, you know, I, I can't tell you enough about eating green, what it does for me. You know, <laughs> you want your cat to be like me. Yeah, well, that's what, the, uh, that's what happens with the cat. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what goes on over there. I just that no. there's something going on in that house. Yeah. Know. <laughs> you don't want to know. I don't. I don't. No. You know, scared. You get to have a warning <laughs> label on the door. You know. We do. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> Crazy. Well, speaking of warning labels, um, okay. So we're <laughs> we're in the horror and not who are horror section again today, and That's uh, right. yeah. Horrors was last week. So today we're talking four murder mystery plates, okay? And we've got a guy that uh, wrote it, and so we're going to find out why. So Mr. Uh, David Michael Kemp, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see how happy you are at the end. <laughs> I guess we will. I've known. I've known to be a little bit. So listen, um, I see this as like a, uh, you know, this is a book of, I guess, four stories, basically. Correct, yes. They're, they're like short, they're short plays. They're like 10-minute one-acts. They're four one-acts, but they kind of put a longer play. If you sort of put them all together, they have like the same detective character in all four. So why, first of all, why are you write, writing it like a play? Like, what, what's the idea behind this? Some of the the stuff that you got to see, like in live theater, that was just more fun to see, you know, with people actually acting it out as opposed to just watching it like in a short movie or something like that. Like, I love the movie Death Trap. It's one of my favorite movies. But to actually see it live with the thunder and the lightning and, like, live people walking around and you feel like somebody's actually getting murdered in front of you, I think the experience is just more intense with live actors as opposed to film. Yeah. Well, you, um, you've you written, I guess, several short stories. It looks like you said 50 short stories or over 50. Um, and when you get into this, uh, is it a different process writing it like a play, 
Like how how do you picture that in your mind when oh, you're putting it? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a good question. You need different kinds of editors. Now this is the part where I can actually talk about my editors. One of my editors is uh, my co- my cousin Heather Slowacki, who also does my book covers, and I think she does an amazing job. She started her own publishing house called Grayland Press. She's worked with some uh, fairly notable people, and she just does a, a wonderful job. And she's also written three murder mystery books of her own. They're called the the Element series, Element Mystery series, Element of Secrecy, Element of Danger, and Element of Truth. And she's much more, I think, aligned with maybe some of the stuff that you might like. I don't want just like like the murder mystery in like its purest sense without any of the the graphic horror, I'm assuming. As far as the plays go, I knew I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I, I knew I was going to have fun. I knew, you know, it was just like a new experience writing plays. Because I was an English major, I read a lot of plays. And I won an award in college uh, about my, my paper about Arthur Miller's The Crucible, and I took a seminar on Arthur Miller. So I, I liked the whole process. But I ended up hiring this lady, Colette Friedman, who has had plays produced all over the world. And even though, you know, the changes were subtle that she made, <laughs> the world of difference was just incredible. Like, yeah. I, I, I thought that there was no limited budget on my play. You know, we could change sets five times for a 10-minute play. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but she kept it simple so that, you know, it, it could actually be done, like really be done in the practical sense, keeping it to one set and keeping the, the number of characters to what was really necessary for the plot, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So, Dale, um, what's the premise behind this? When you say four murder mystery plays, uh, and you talk about alcoholism as a serious problem, and you could, and again, so is murder. Well, I, I don't see a problem with it, but um, murder <laughs> that is. <laughs> but let, let's talk about the premise. Like, what, what does it mean to you? Well, I, I wanted to not just have plays that were focusing on murder mystery elements, but also. You know, I'm a person in recovery, I'm an alcoholic, and I haven't had a drink in six and a half years. And first of all, I had to get past the nonsense that, you know, to be a great writer, you must be drunk all the time. There, there have been great writers who've been drunks, and there have been drunks who thought they were great writers, you know. <laughs> I, I, I think it's irrelevant. I think, you know, we were talking about Truman Capote a little while ago. I totally agree with him when he said that you're either a writer or you're not. Yeah, I really believe that. Yeah, yeah, and only so, I think when you get into that, it's you, you're a writer or not. So when you're drinking and you're writing, or when you're not drinking and you're writing, you're still writing. It represents yeah, who I, you are at the time. I just, I, so you know, I don't think one means the other personally. But well, no, I I, I agree with that. I I thought that altering your mind is what made yeah. one great, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> and I would you know. Just put on like a bunch of old movies, things that I've seen before, like Risky Business a hundred times, something that I wouldn't pay too much attention to is background noise. But I think that the way that I do it now, you know, I, I read a lot more, I take in more, and I can really concentrate on the story structure in my novels, in my plays, in my short stories. And the other thing too is the humility of being sober 
makes your mind more open to actually listening to the criticisms of your editor. You know, when I was drinking, I'm not even sure why I hired an editor. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, but you know, the editor themselves, if, if you find someone that you connect with that's good, it'll turn out good. I mean, I mean, they're there to make the book better. So for them to ask questions is a, it's a good thing, you know, and if they get too, too pushy, then you just push them down the stairs or something. I don't know. I've been dealing with my cousin as an editor, and we get along very well, but also a Bucks, he used to be a Bucks County guy now. He moved to North Carolina. His name is Al Siroys. He wrote some really great books. One was called Silly Ghouls. One was called The Bohemian Magician. And his wife is also a, a writer. She just published her first novel, Visible Signs. And Al is just a terrific editor. Again, similar to Colette Friedman, just like sometimes you just you need a second set of eyes to you you miss things in your own work and you know the advice is to just put things aside and then when you come back say after you had your first or second draft like two or three months later and you read it it's almost like somebody else wrote it yeah and you can read it with fresh eyes Uh, you know you guys are writers i'm sure you know what i'm talking about oh yeah it happens all the time you know uh, you know and uh my love for Edgar Allan Poe, uh, and I would say my my intense uh, fandom of Brian De Palma's movies, his early movies, like Dress to Kill and Blow Out and things like that. Yeah. Okay. So your your gruff detective uh, that you've got in the center of of the place. Um, how does someone like that get created in your mind? Is this something that you um, just just develop uh, in imagination, or you dream about it. Do you hear this this character? Do you see him? Like, how does this all work for you? That's that's, that's a good question, Alan. Well, I, I'll tell you. This is what's funny is, you know, uh, it's no secret that addicts and alcoholics have had problems with law enforcement. I don't think I need to point that out too much. So, some of my friends in the twelve steps have accused me of being a little harsh on uh, on the police in my books. And I actually befriended a, uh, a homicide detective, a retired homicide detective uh, in AA. And, you know, I got to talk and stuff like that with him. And, you know, the stuff he's been through is entirely horrific. I can kind of see how somebody in that line of work, seeing people at their worst, might end up, you know, turning to alter their mind. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was it was a combination of meeting him with you know, I loved um, the silly detectives like Peter Sellers, you know, as Clouseau and uh, I love Columbo. But I also liked some of the more serious detectives. I liked I liked read you know, because Edgar Allan Poe is the father of the detective story with uh Dupas. Basically, I made the gruff detective a relative <laughs> of the of the quote-unquote real Dupas, just to get like the Edgar Allan Poe thing in, and that mm-hmm. kind of made it, you know, so that it, it could be more fun and easier to write for me. What is your process like? Do you because okay, so not to get too weird, um, but um, a lot of writers over the years that we've talked to will describe their characters as, you know, family or 
friends or they, they'd have this description of characters like their personal people they know. Is that your, is the same for you in your case? Yeah, I, th- I think so. But at the same time, I, I think it's also, I do an awful lot of nods, a lot of homage stuff to things that have inspired me when I was younger. And of course, as I'm sure you guys know, there, every character is kind of you a little bit, as you as you probably already know since you're writers. There's a little bit of you in all the characters. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, how much of you do you want to put in a, in, in something like this? I ask this um, not only because of something I ask a lot of people, but you've got, um, you know, you're you're a recovering alcoholic or addict, and so you writing with alcoholism is one of your serious problems. So, are you are you comfortable, or you're able to um, expose your your feelings or some of the things that you went through in order to to pull this stuff off? I mean, and I mean that in the way of you know today's world, everybody and their dog can find you, like you're all over you know social media and your books and stuff. So, you're kind of being a little bit vulnerable by exposing these things about yourself. Is is that an issue for you, or do you, are you nervous no, about that? No, no, I'm, I'm like a very private person, so if people want, people can think whenever they want. I, I, I wanted to also write these plays. Uh, I mean, I did like a bunch of play contests. The best I got, I got mixed reviews from uh, theater directors. The best I did was I got uh, runner-up. I was a. Uh, semi-finalist in one play contest and that's the best I did out of all the play contests that I entered. But what I would actually like to see is maybe these plays being produced maybe at rehabs. You know, they have even, you know, after people have been in detox and rehab long enough, they try to have occupational creative things, arts to occupy their time. I, I think putting on a play about recovery in a recovery center would be a very interesting experience for the people that were going to rehab. Yeah, yeah, it is an interesting idea. You know, if you're runner-up, if you want to win, you've got to sleep with more people. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep that in mind for next time. Well, yeah, anytime I need something, I, I sleep sleep with them and then I'm there. It seems that's, to work. Yeah, that, that's how Warren Beatty got to the top, I guess. Oh, you, 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 no, no doubt. I'd do anything for him if you want to sleep with me. I'm really sure of my age. I can see the millennials more. Why? Who? Yeah. Who is that? <laughs> well, I wonder what what draws you to the uh, the short form. Uh, you know, you've, I know you've written novels, uh, short stories, uh, and plays. Do you consider yourself a natural short story writer? Oh, I, I think whatever whatever the have news drives me towards. I guess I, I, I really became obsessed with writing 10-minute plays for some reason, and then I did that. And I have to say, it's much harder than people think that it is. <laughs> I, I, when I wrote my first novel, I was just, the problem was that, you know, I had a bunch of friends. We drank together and got drunk. We were all going to be writers, yet none of us ever wrote anything. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and of course, I mean, I'm not counting writing for my, I'm not counting municipal stories from my small town newspaper. <laughs> Although technically that's professional writing because the checks didn't bounce, I guess. Oh, yeah. I got to a certain point, I was like pushing 40 and I wanted to write my first novel. And I, you know, I made myself do it and I'm really glad that I did. And now I've just finished the third book, you know, in that trilogy. 
So, you, you know, it's, it's more hard work than inspiration, but you need the inspiration to be able to do the hard work. And, you know, every, every character kind of works itself out. If I thought that the detective character should be in a novel, you know, which I still might do, you know, I, w- I would have done it that way. But it just, the, it's the feeling that everything is sort of writing itself. You're just sort of, the story is channeling itself through you and you're just typing. I, I know you guys know what that's like. Hmm. Well, do do your characters ever surprise you? Do they kind of take over the plot, or, or do you feel like you're you're in control? Most of the time, I'm in control. A, a, a few of them have surprised me and gotten out of control, and they were more resilient than I thought, and they survived. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, and you know, I do seek inspiration from from real life events, but a lot of the stuff. Goes back to my childhood. I still remember watching Salem's Lot when uh, I was a little kid in 1979 with my grandparents, and everybody remembers uh, the little boy scratching on the door, floating through the air. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, I wish I could scare people like that." Now I'm pretty sure I slept, you know, in the same bed as my grandparents that night. <laughs> but absolutely, <laughs> it was it was absolutely terrifying. Scene. But I, I knew I wanted to write when I stole uh, my my aunt's copy of Peter Benchley's Jaws when I was little. Hmm. I was like, you know, reading it in secret. I was like, ah, oh, this is so exciting. The killer shark. <laughs> Brody's wife having the affair with Hooper. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm going to write about giant sharks and Chief Brody's slutty wife someday. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws is my favorite movie of all time, incidentally. To you, what makes a good story? Like, what's what's um, what elements um, do you look for? Well, I suppose I'm not going to say that it has to be profound or something like that, because obviously everybody's not Hemingway or Shakespeare. But I think if it becomes like a true distraction where you can forget about the mundaneness of life for a little while and it really, really takes you away, really sucks you in the way that Salem's Lot the book did to me actually after I watched the series years later just you know Interview with a Vampire did that for me Peter Straub's Ghost Story did that for me Mm -hmm. Uh, Jonathan Mayberry's Patient Zero did that for me William F. Nolan's Logan's Run did that for me so there's certain books that that do that short stories can do it too I think and I, I remember when I was in college, and the first time I read Clive Barker's short stories, the only thing I knew was Stephen King saying, I've seen the future of horror, it's Clive Barker, and I was a big King fan, so I gave him a try. And holy cow, man, those were like the best short stories I ever read. The Books of Blood. Yes. Thank you, Books of Blood. Yeah, I mean, the, the only th- thing I did think was the nerve of him to try to write a sequel to an Edgar Allan Poe story, New Murders in the Remorgue, <laughs> but, <it was> really <laughs> but it was really good. And he was like turning the genre stuff, just turning it upside down. Because let's face it, there there are a lot of stale ideas, you know, stuff that's yeah. been done. Well, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to be original when there's so much out there, too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know if I don't know if I'm original or not. I knew that when I was writing my first novel, I knew that I. You know, I mean, there's vampires, werewolves, witches. God knows we have enough zombies now, don't we? <laughs> so 
like what, what's like a monster that isn't used that much in a horror novel or books or movies, you know? And then I, I remember when I was a kid and I read the Arabian Nights, I was like, I want to write about the jinn. I want to write about these genies, you know, try to manipulate us and try to get us to, you know, very similar to the, the real leprechauns in Irish folklore, try to get us to mess up by, you know, wording our desires or wishes the wrong way. So, you know, I read the Arabian Nights, watched the movie uh, Wishmaster again, read parts of the Quran, and uh, lo and behold, my first novel was about evil genies. You know, when you write a book, and like even this, this, this newer one you've got out, this uh, four murder mystery place, um, when someone takes that and reads it, um, is there something you're hoping they take away from that besides the, the entertainment part? Such a good question. Well, besides being entertained, I suppose I, I, I hope that they learn that we're kind of all in this together, that we're all the same, meaning human beings, you know, maybe to take it easy and not judge people so harshly, which I know is hard. I know is hard because we frequently don't get our way. You know, you might have thought that Mrs. Shields should have given you a B instead of a C in third grade. I don't know. And much more serious things than that, but yeah, it's. I try to sort of like a, a sense of connectiveness. I guess is something that I aspire for readers to feel. Yeah, well, that 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 teacher in second grade, she got hers. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I had her head cut off by a lion in my second. I'm just kidding. No, well, okay, I, so I, I now we're the, getting into the real stuff. Exactly. I want it where the readers are in on the joke, but the characters aren't. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's a form of suspense in a way, because the readers know what can happen or what's going on, but the characters don't all know. So Exactly. exactly. And you, you see that in movies, too. You know, it's almost like you're one of the Greek gods. You already know what their fate's going to be. You know, yeah. I yeah. feel that every time I watch the movie Seven. After you watch it the first time, you're like, yeah, now I know what's in the box now. It's not going to shock me anymore. <laughs> it's a chocolate cake. <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, when you finish a book, something like this, that has a lot of um, you in it and a lot of things you've dealt with in your life, and you complete the book and you look back at it, it's out now. Um, how, do, how do you think that's changed you? A sense of accomplishment that I've that I've done that. I feel a very similar sense of accomplishment. This is not too strange for you guys, I think. When I get blurbs from people that I admire, and they, you know, they they've enjoyed, you know, the work that I've done. You know, I, I was yeah. very, you know, I was very pleased with the blurbs that I got for four murder mystery plays. You know, just some great people there. Yeah, I'm a big fan well, of. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Nicholas Grabowski, for example. I think he's great. And you know, it's a small world. Clive Barker's a big fan of Nicholas Grabowski. I'm a big fan of Nicholas Grabowski. And I just think that his work is. It, it's written in a way that it's like this unique style. I can't. Ironically, I can't put it into words. Uh, but I, I've had blurbs from people that have just blown me away, like Jonathan Mayberry and Gary Razor and this lady, 
Meredith Bogart Brown, Heavy Metal Magazine, I'm a big fan of. This actress, Lorraine Evanoff, this new kid, Natasha Sinclair, this actor, George Stover from Bihar movies and John Waters movies. You know, he really liked my play about the laundry room. <laughs> that was pretty cool. I grew I grew up watching these these low budget movies too. Did did you do you guys know who Don Dohler was? Oh no, I don't. Uh, Dave, no. I, I don't. I don't. He was a low, and I mean low, budget horror movie maker. And I just I found that so inspiring that he didn't have to go to Hollywood. You know, he just made movies right there in Maryland in his home, and. Uh, George, you know, being an actor there, for example, it, he he worked for the only two, I mean, I shouldn't say the only two, but the two primary movie directors in Maryland were John Waters and Don Dohler. So that's who George frequently worked with. And, you know, I like the Midnight Cult movies a lot. So that was pretty cool when he, when he, he liked something that I wrote. Murder mystery yeah. set in a laundry room, that is definitely, you know, you could do that low budget, I think. You kind of have a point to it, but, right? Like when you, when you say that, you're kind of meaning that, uh, you're, I think you're trying to bring up the point of how alcohol, alcoholism can really, um, screw up your life. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a tragedy, man. I, I'm, I, I'm not going to say my sponsor's name, obviously, but he, Probably, oh my gosh, he was just a genius IQ and an engineer. He probably could have ended up being just incredibly successful. Uh, he's, he's doing pretty well now because he hasn't had to drink in 15 years, but he just, you know, he just threw a lot of his life. He, he ended up being homeless. Here's this guy with a genius IQ and he ends up being homeless. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, it definitely can ravage your life. Yeah. You know, and, and I can say in all seriousness that it is a devastating problem that you have to do something about. And I do think there's more than one way to get sober. I think you can get sober in other ways besides AA, but I do believe the program helps a lot of people. Yeah, it sure seems to, um, you know. Um, so where do you see yourself going uh, next um, now that this book's out? Where, where do you see yourself doing with writing here? Well, I'm finishing up on my new novel, and I think, you know, that's going to be uh, good to take all the characters from dark fiction and damned fiction and finally put an end, you know, to the story. I do, I do try to get people to, to think about addiction and what a terrible problem that uh, it is. I mean, I, I guess, I don't know if you guys saw that, that I wrote a children's book about addiction with my son when he was eight, and I'm very proud of that. There's not too many, you know, children's books about addiction. It's kind of a, you know, grim fairy tale, dark subject, I guess, for a children's book, but I think we uh I think we did a good job with it. And you know, I did a I did a novel They Laughed at Me, which was about a recovering alcoholic on house arrest. Moonlights is a comedian even though he has an ankle bracelet on. And there's various references to alcoholism in my short stories. And obviously, as you guys know, the the plays are very 
sick and filled with the the horrors of addiction and particularly in rehab the the horrors of withdrawal with you know watching people go through withdrawal is terrible particularly alcohol withdrawal alcohol withdrawal heroin withdrawal you would think would be worse but even though they they feel like crap and they they feel horrible and hellish they're still going to live you can genuinely die of a heart attack or a stroke going through alcohol withdrawal and it's an ugly thing to have to see hmm. yeah even worse to experience i might add oh, I, yeah i could imagine um how long does it take someone to to recover from something like that? Withdrawal. Generally, forty eight hours. You're pretty much in the clear. Yeah, yeah. You have to take so. drugs to to kind of um, stop getting the shakes. Yeah, they, they, they typically typically Valium, benzos to keep people having a stroke uh, or heart attack. They they give people stuff. I mean, I don't know the exact stuff they give, but it, you, you know, it's extremely dangerous if you're. At the like at the end stages, Alan, where you're drinking on an empty stomach, and you're not eating, and you're not sleeping, and you've lost a lot of weight, and you don't know what the hell's going on, and then to just stop, it's extremely dangerous. Mm. Yeah, I could imagine that would be um, a terrible thing to go through. So, uh, social media and all that. So, do you have a website or a place that people can come find you? For Masters of Horror, I usually just go right to my Amazon page. My, my, I did have a website. It's, it's down right now. I'm going to have my cousin probably design me an all new website. Okay. So, um, how was the writing um, over the last little while for you with COVID and all the weird stuff going on? Does that affect you, or just things going on in your life? I guess is kind of really a question. Um, you know, I mean, of course it affects you, but do you find that it interferes with your writing itself. Actually, kind of a hidden blessing. Okay. No. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to, to be alone and to be able to just, you know, because I live alone, just to be able to just have all that, you know, isolation and privacy. I guess, you know, I, I just, uh, I feel now like I'm 54 years old. I feel like there's just not enough hours in the day to get done what I want. And you know, even though it was unpleasant and scary for all of us the pandemic and it's particularly hard to explain to children you know my son or my niece my nephew whatever um the 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 time that you got that i got to you know to try to put some of these ideas out you know it's it was uh it was pretty cool actually i mean i'm sorry for the covid outbreak and i wish i could tell you that it was horrifying no. but it was actually sort of uh, creative and productive, quite yeah, honestly. Yeah, no, I, get, I get both responses. Some people find it really it has been good for them and helps them uh, get away and be creative, and other people, well, shuts them down, stresses them out, and they can't can't function very well or write very well. So it's kind of, you kind of get both. So, yeah, it's interesting. Also an amateur magician here. I'm getting my magic stuff together to do some shows in the summer. My, my town's carnival usually has uh, my son and I <laughs> doing a, a magic show. Hmm. So it's just uh, it's just us and a clown pretty much is the entertainment. Wow. I'm not yeah. going to say the clown's Daisy? name. <laughs> <laughs> <Is it> Gacy? <laughs> William Gacy, the clown? It's Amber. It's, it's, it's Amber something. I can't remember. Amber Turd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, 
uh, you know, if the, the people usually get into it. It's it's funny. I feel like I'm in the middle of a Ray Bradbury story, mm. you know. No, it's good. And, and, you know, the movie Magic is one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't know if you guys saw yeah. that, the one with Anthony Hopkins. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. The, the book is even better. The book is always better. Actually. Well, actually, even though I love the book Jaws, uh, I'd have to say that uh, the movie's better. I also yeah. think the movie The Shining's better than the book. I agree. But in general, you're definitely correct. Yeah. You're absolutely, definitely correct. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I, I just wanted to throw, I guess uh, I wanted to thank Jeff Oliver for connecting me to you guys. I wanted to thank my friend... Camera Thorne for the blurbs for uh, the first play. And I'd like to give a shout out to my friend Michael Baker, who makes his own homemade magic trick stuff that is just, you know, incredible. I mean, I, I like some of these cell phone effects for magic and things like that, but that the old world artist craftsman that he is, it, 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 it just, his magic tricks are incredible. Like, even if you just want to collect the stuff as art. Because as I'm speaking to you guys, I'm just looking around and I have more magic tricks than I know what to do with. I don't, it's like, it's, it's a replacement addiction, I think. I can't stop buying them. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless you can keep affording them. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> they're not stealing them. Their, their, commercial, their commercials work really well on, on me in my mind. Yes, it's expensive, but do you want to just be some amateur magician, or do you want to be the real deal? And I'm kind of like, well, I want to be the real deal. <laughs> just add water. It works. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I guess I could do some ventriloquism over the radio for you guys. I'm kidding. Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, on that note, well, it's been an interesting uh, conversation, and we're going to wrap it up today, and we appreciate you coming by. Um, now, your latest book is called Four Murder Mystery Plays. Of course, our guest is the writer of that, uh, Mr. David Michael Kemp. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun, guys. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.